Welcome to This Academic Life, Episode 20, Part 1. This podcast is brought to you by local sponsors and listeners like yourself. If you're interested in sponsorship, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Hi, I'm Lucy Zhang. I'm a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, I'm Pani Anuel. I'm also a professor in mechanical engineering. As we are approaching faculty hiring season, we thought it would be good to dedicate two episodes to this topic. It's no secret that it takes a lot of work to apply for a faculty position, and we believe any information providing an insight into this process might be helpful. Faculty hiring typically includes forming a search committee, job posting, candidate search, initial screening and evaluations of the applications, selection process, official job offer, and final hiring. As you can see, it's an exhausting list of steps which require involvement of many people in the process. As three of us have been through this process at least once in our academic career, we have one or two things to share with you all. So let's start by sharing our experiences. Okay, maybe I'll go first. I went through two interview rounds in terms of faculty search. The first one was fresh out of graduate school. The second round was when Tulane permanently closed our engineering school and I had to new, look for a new job. So that's, those are the two rounds that I went through. I have to say that, you know, of course that's many years ago. I mean, even the second round was about 15 years ago. And both rounds, I feel like the first time I was very green. I still remember being very nervous and just all I wanted was a job. It doesn't even matter. Um, but the first one, uh, when I went to Tulane for the interview, at the end of the day, I just felt everything was right. As soon as I got there in the morning, all the way until the dinner, everything was just so perfect. I felt like it was home. And it just went so smooth. And of course, uh, that's actually a very memorable experience because I got the offer on the spot on the first day before the dinner. Um, so that was really something. And I felt uh, right at home. It, everything was just right. I had no expectation before going, but I felt like that was, that was it. And uh, second round, of course, me mentally, I was a little bit, unprepared because the closure of school was um, very sudden and very unexpected. They didn't give us a lot of time to do the search. And when I applied, it was already over the deadline for most institutions. So I didn't have a lot of choices. Uh, but fortunately, when Tulane announced the uh, closure, many institutions actually reached out to me and said, we heard about this, uh, would you like to apply? Not necessarily, they had positions at the time in their departments, but they reached out to me. And I went through 14 interviews 
back to back. Wow. <laughs> That's a track record. <laughs> three months period. And uh, it was very intense, but I actually was very excited and I felt like it was a new opportunity for me to kind of get myself out there. I wasn't nervous. I was uh, a lot more experienced comparing to uh, two or three years prior to that. So it was a fun, but it was intense. Um, so, I mean, I had, I learned a lot through that experience as well, but that's what I had overall. That's what I experienced some good, some bad, which I'm, I'll share some more details later. To me, it was really interesting that you said that it felt home when you were interviewing at uh, Tulane. I wonder how many of us we feel like that when we apply for these faculty positions and then we, we have the campus interviews and, uh, and how many of us continue feeling like that if we feel it during the interview after getting the job. So, but that was very, I don't know, to me it was touching that you, you it felt right. My experience was I had only one experience <laughs> and that was here coming to the U. And when I came here, I felt that, wow, this is just like my hometown. It was my first time coming to Salt Lake City. It was just just exactly like uh, where I was born and raised. And that, that was the, I guess, the memorable part of it uh, for me. Uh, I, I can't live without mountains and the mountains, they were just like, oh, okay sold so but they didn't offer me the job on this spot on the first day not even on the second day so i had to wait for it so i wasn't as lucky as you so i had three different types of interview experiences one as a postdoctoral uh, researcher leaving directly from grad school the second was applying for faculty positions right after completing a postdoc and then the third was applying as an administrator with a tenured faculty position. And all of those experiences, as you know, are quite different. I agree with Lucy, I was very new when I became a, a junior faculty member. But what I can say about each of those three different experiences is that each stakeholder or university were looking for something different. Right. As a postdoc, they were looking for my ability to mentor students, the graduate students in their lab and to mentor undergraduate students. As a faculty member, they were looking for my promise in the scholarship that I was going to produce. And then as an administrator, they were looking for leadership skills and the ability for me to have a strong philosophy, whether it was about research, teaching, scholarships, undergraduate experiences, they really wanted you to have your philosophy down packed. So what is it that you believe in? So those were different experiences. Um, and, and I also think that my experiences varied based on the type of school I interviewed at, right? So as a postdoc, I was really looking for places that were close to home because I just wanted to go home. So no matter what interview I, I went to, it was, I felt like I was already at home. When I interviewed at LSU, I was like, I'm down the street from home. <laughs> and so the, the interview was very relaxing, so to speak, versus when I interviewed 
um, at a at an Ivy League school in on the East Coast, it I felt very distant from the university, just because in my heart I just wanted to be close to home. And then as a faculty member, um, the type of institution also mattered because whether it was HBC, the experience was quite different. I didn't maybe didn't focus so much on the research and the scholarship. I focused on my ability to be a mentor to the students in the classroom. And so my philosophy about teaching and research were quite different from when I interviewed, let's say at RPI, where I had to do a great job of integrating both my ability to be an effective teacher and to have um, good scholarship. So the experiences vary. And um, as Lucy mentioned, we'll talk more in detail about that. But I just wanted to give you an idea of the depth and the breadth of the experiences I had. And, and hopefully I'll you know shed some more light on those experiences later. I like the point that you made about that when I see people coming for the interview, I see those that uh, someday are really, really nervous and they can't even communicate when you meet with them in a one-on-one setting. So I think it's really important that we feel relaxed during those, uh, those processes. So can you guys mention a little bit more about your experience, both as being interviewed and also interviewing others throughout your careers? What are the highlights? What, what are the things that you think are important when we are applying for these faculty positions? Maybe we start with you, Lucy. I think what's important for me, at least, is that you have to be true to yourself. And oftentimes you just can't fake it. You know, I, I don't even know if there's a better word for it. It really needs to be, the whole process needs to be natural. Natural in a way where you feel comfortable. You feel that this entire process, you're wearing your own shoes, kind of comfortable. I would say that a lot of times it's not uh, being the interviewee. Oftentimes you're also interviewing the place that you're going to work in, the people you're going to work with. So you want to be also very cognizant while you're on these interviewing processes that you're looking out for the things that matter to you. I think it's a really a two-way street while you're doing the interview. It's not about what way you can impress the place that you're interviewing at. It's not about impressing those people. Um, so that's actually one thing that I have learned during my second round of interview because I went to so many of them. And some, some places... <laughs> Uh, friends would tell me, oh, you should do this. You should look out for this person. You should look out for that person. And it made me very unease even before going, knowing that, oh, I need to kiss up this person. I need to, like, this is just not right. It's just not right. Felt so unreal, you know? Yeah. So the most important thing for me, at least, is to be comfortable and don't force anything in this interviewing process. And uh, in the meantime, keep a sharp eye on the uh, place that you're interviewing at. Ask good questions so that you can feel at home when you actually do work there. 
Yes, very, very good point. I, I really love that. Just be true to yourself. Yeah, many people when they apply for this job, they as as you pointed out, like your first job, you wanted just a job, right? But people when they interview them, they can tell who's excited, who genuinely wants this job and who just doing multiple interviews for the sake of interviews or seeking better opportunities and they are not really excited. So Kim, how about you? So I want to start by saying Lucy mentioned that you should ask questions because you're also interviewing the school. And that was one of the key points I was going to mention. I think you want to ask those questions that are important to you. So for example, for me, the two biggest things were mentorship and a supportive faculty. And I wasn't looking for just one supportive faculty. I was looking for multiple people that I can go to as resources. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into, oh, I think I clicked well with this one particular faculty at University X. I wanted to say, oh, I clicked with this person and this person and this person has similar research. I want to be able to have more than one person that I can go to. And I think the reason why I had such a strong opinion about that was because it, it, it's worked well for me so far. Even when I went to the University of Michigan for grad school, I picked the school because there was a diversity in the research opportunities. So that way, if I didn't like condensed metaphysics, I can go to optics. If I didn't like optics, I can go to astronomy, and, you know, um, or another field. So I think when you go on in these interviews that, you should write down what are the things that are most important to you. Then on the flip side, um, being on a search committee and interviewing people for administrative positions and for faculty positions, I found that the candidates, let me say, who submitted their applications early always set the tone, especially if the applications were well-written. So if you submit your application early and it's well put together package, you're always going to be number one, you know, because so everybody's going to say when they get to the next candidate, number two, they're going to be like, oh, this is this wasn't as good as Kim's. Then they get to candidate three. I don't know. Kim did a better, you know, so it was funny. I mean, it's psychological, right? You, they don't mean to necessarily compare you to the first person that they read, but it just is subconscious, right? You, and then you start switching people out. Well, this person was better than Kim. Now, now we have a new number one, right? But it's all, it's, it's good to just submit early and just start as the number one person <laughs> and then make other people work to remove you from that spot. So that's my, my key advice about that. Wow. That's so, I love it. I, I've never heard of that. I thought that, well, Wait for the last minute, submit the best packet. <laughs> so now it seems that we need to climb so many ladders if we are the last at the bottom. It's like, okay, so, wow, that was awesome. There's, it's not supposed to be a competition in that way, like in ranking manner, but people in their mind, there's always some right comparison. That's a great point. Love yeah. It. That, that was that was awesome. So since you were talking about serving in the search committee, but step before that are these posting that we send it out to any uh, platforms that I guess they advertise about these positions. What are your thoughts on the importance of the 
wording in those advertisements. I have some thoughts about that. I've served on a search committee that was interviewing candidates for Dean, the faculty members, directors, and for me, and I don't know if I should say unfortunately or fortunately, I was the chair of most of those committees. <laughs> I always made sure the position descriptions or the job posting was impressive, meaning that I always was digging for a key fact that no one knew about that department, right? So for example, when I was for chemistry, I always made sure to make sure it was expressed somewhere that this was the first department that granted a PhD at the university. Like to me, that's impressive, right? To, to want to interview at a university, a historically black uh, college and university, and you're interviewing for the department that conferred the first PhD degree, right? So I always was looking for some fact like that to highlight. And so that way, right away, I want to draw the attention of the candidate and say, you know what? I think I want to be a part of that, whatever it is, right? So that's kind of what I would say. I, I don't like plain position descriptions. I don't like it to be generic. I, I want it to pop. I wanted to, to really grab the attention of yeah. the candidate. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm the same. How about you, Lucy? Yeah. Uh, similar. I mean, we've read the institutions or departments when they're hiring, they're also competing against each other or the best candidates or potential candidates who will join them. So. I agree the advertising needs to stand out, whatever it is, either exciting programs or centers it's about to launch or existing ones that potential candidates would fit in very well, you know, stuff like that to kind of support this position so that they right away, they know if I go there, oh, look at all these facilities that they will have access to or all these centers of people that they can work with. And I think those would always be a big plus. You know, one thing when you first asked that question, my thought was, oh, because some searches are very specific, even though it came out of a department, for example, they had a something specific in mind, some particular area in mind, but sometimes the advertising doesn't really show, doesn't really say it. I still don't really understand what that means, why it cannot be specified. Perhaps they want a bigger pool to choose from. Maybe that's the case. Uh, or perhaps they didn't want to limit themselves in that narrow field, maybe they say, if a really good candidate comes by in a slightly different field, with, but you know, with some tangent uh, fields, maybe we'll entertain that as well. So they didn't want to close that door. So I'm thinking maybe that's the reason. But otherwise, you know, if, as a candidate, I would want to be as broad as possible so that I have more opportunities to apply, right? So, yes. so yeah, I don't know a lot of times what's the rationale behind all these wordings that goes behind the, the actual mm -hmm. advertising. That's the first step, I guess, in any search, right? So from both sides, people that they are looking for this job, this is the first thing they see. And that's their first impression of the department that they are going to apply for. 
so do you think that uh, we can make these uh, these announcements more inclusive and more diverse? So that's an interesting question because I remember once when you're at a historically black school, you know, it's like, do we really need the diversity thing? They said, we're, you know, we're, I, it's, it was, it was interesting because we, we definitely wanted minority candidates. We wanted faculty members of color, but we also wanted other people to apply too, right? So it wasn't like we were, we didn't want to exclude anybody, right? Because as I've often said in this podcast is, your mentor doesn't need to look like you, right? My mentor does not need to be an African-American female, right? And so you, you know, we had to keep that in mind because we're trying to educate the next generation of scientists. I think that you can make the descriptions more inclusive, but you have to be careful. And I'm gonna do a long pause. You have to be very careful not to turn off potential candidates which you're worrying about whether you're being inclusive or unbiased. So, and it's a very fine line, but it's very important. So it's almost like you want to seek what HR suggests as the wording. So that way that statement is generic. And so people know you're not forcing it and they know you're not, you know, you're not underselling it and you're not overselling it, right? And so I think that's a very interesting line to walk. And I think you need to pay attention to it. I agree. I oftentimes think that there's in many advertisings on the bottom, very bottom of the whole thing, uh, of the whole description on the bottom said, we encourage women underrepresented minorities to apply, we encourage. Right, so that's usually the wording that goes at the end of each. I wonder if when it's stated so often or so regularly, do they actually mean it or do they just say, ah, oh, we, we have a stamp on it. Right, but if you say something anywhere else, then you could be seen as only targeting certain groups of people. So that's why I would rather just see the generic statement and then look at the website of that department to see if they're true to that statement. So if I'm going to be the first black female in the department, then I need to interview with that in mind, right? And I need to ask questions. So then I would have to change what my priorities are when I interview and see, are they really serious about this diversity or was it just a statement? Right. And you can feel that when you go on the interview. Mm, very true. Very, very, very good point. Goes back, I guess, to the people that they are applying this season. It's just don't trust only the descriptions of the job. Just do your homework, dig through the website, go look at other faculties, web pages, and the college, and you will get a better idea if it's a right fit for you or not. And uh, yeah, so, so that, that's that's very, very good point. Mm-hmm. 
So far, we touched on some of our personal experiences and some aspects of the faculty search, but obviously there are many more left to talk about. And in the next episode, we will return to this very exact topic and we will discuss and talk about other points related to a faculty search. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Find us at thisacademiclife.org or follow us on Facebook. You can listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. Please rate us. We welcome any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.